0: Welcome to the Role Playing Exchange. We are totally not recording this introduction in post from an episode that just sprang up from a conversation we were having around 1030 on a Saturday morning. Isn't that right, Chris? Do not look at the man behind the curtain. <laughs> so speaking of people and behind curtains, obviously I'm Adam and Chris is here, but in alphabetical order. Why don't we go ahead and introduce the rest of our guests that took part in this amazing conversation, which everyone listening is going to enjoy. Oh hello! I'm Crazon. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for uh, Crazon. And
1: hi, everybody. This is David.
0: Thank you, David.
2: Hello, it is me, Laura May. Once again, as exclusive buyer content only.
0: No, you're on. You're on general distribution today, lady. I you're thought got... this was to be
2: a patron episode.
0: It was, <laughs> but, and it started being D and D related. Oops! Just let that cat out of the bag. So went ahead, decided to just throw it out there. So, what am I? A cheap whore? No, honey, this is your moment. You've reached the big leagues. There's going to at least be 80 people that download this, as opposed to five. <laughs> Tonight, a star is born. <laughs> and last, but you know, certainly not least, and I think actually his first official talkie as well. Ooh, you're sharing a spotlight with who? Hi,
3: um, I've been recording for... I did a session for these guys like almost a year ago now, but this is my debut apparently. Um, I made the mistake of wading into the controversy around Warhammer 3, including Cathay and Ind. So I do ramble a lot on this. If this is your first time hearing me, um, I'd say I'm sorry and it's uncharacteristic, but it is characteristic. I, I'm i trying to get better, but. Uh, yeah, forgive me. Literally I just just, off. you just gave us a fucking paragraph without even without even saying your own name. Damn it. Damn it, Adam, take two. Nope, nope, staying in. Guys, this is Rob. He's Adam should just like take two. Boop. I did not actually, say my name. Uh, I'm I'm Rob, Robert, Robbie, whatever suits you. And I hope you enjoy paragraphs. I've written, I've spoken
0: many. In this episode, we're going to be discussing d ds move to change races from being inherently evil. And we kind of meander to and from, but yeah, we're going to be discussing some preconceived notions that our culture has had for a long, 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 long time. And we're going to offer a few suggestions on how to address those concerns and make a better, more elaborate story. Be
2: cool, man. <laughs> Just be cool. Read
0: all That's around. the abstract. We've just given you the ending.
2: RPX. Subtitle, just be cool.
0: Yeah. All right. So let's go see what we said. A topic that just kind of popped in my head as we were talking about this is, like, we were thinking D&D. We were kind of started meandering with D&D. But I, you know, recently there's been a push to make, like race is not evil and all that and that's great and stuff and you know i'm really just thinking like how does one kind of go about this and the topic in general does that sound like something we could riff on
1: i think so as a matter of fact that's a topic very near and dear to my heart the uh D campaign that i've run the most times actually i'm running it in pathfinder now but um it's the city of monsters And I try to make the entire city just one long subversion of every expectation. Like, instead of the orcs being chaotic and warlike, they're actually the city guards. There is this one particular um, scribe that I threw in, because he's... What I tend to do is, after a group does well enough in the game, the player from the group that I think um, kind of embodies the focus of it and yeah, like, you know, whoever is the long-term MVP ends up an NPC for further runs. And the very first one had a guy who was playing a totally not a ninja, just a humble scribe, wink, <laughs> uh, Drow. And so he is the local information broker, and he's famous for saying repeatedly, you should never trust the Drow. They are not trustworthy in any by any means. All creations are liars. Yeah, all Grecians are liars, spoken by a Greek. But in this case, he actually is one of the most trustworthy people in the city. He keeps to his word. um, A contract is a contract. And other than the fact that he is lying about what he is, yeah, he's he's one of the characters in the city that most of the later groups have just kind of latched onto and said, he says you can't trust the drow, but he's right. We can trust him. It's like, well, no, he means other drow. You can't trust other drow.
0: (laughs) So I've been playing Curse of Strahd. That was my return to D D. And you know, since we began, there's been some errata added to it to where they would go back and change some of the more troubling aspects, such as like the Vistani, which were a proxy for Roma, to be quite frank. And it was yeah. very in,
3: in the in the original uh, module I, I should interject here, they actually did just call them by the uh unfortunate uh term that uh slur. you know roma's yeah the the slur version of roma is, is what they're called. Mm-hmm. yep and i think it was second edition where they invented Vistani, and that came in notably sort of in the same era where they were renaming like angels and not really angels but mostly devils in the D system like devils and demons and whatever the other one is daemons were kind of renamed like that's Zero or whatever made up nonsense. And uh, that was the too. same Yeah, that that
0: was the same edition that uh decided to stop using the G word. <laughs> yeah. The Vistani are pretty much like they've changed some of the text to it, and I don't have the the copy up right now. But I mean I remember kind of going through the changes and I mean I guess that's a nice like limp wristed handshake of an attempt there, but I mean the whole pretty much the whole story. It's the Vasani are aligned with Strahd. and like I don't see how you're going to clear that up without totally uh, changing the story in and of itself. It's I, you know, there's good characters obviously amongst them, but they're still they still seem kind of demonized to me. If that makes sense,
3: it does. Mm-hmm. I I think I can interject here and just say like I'm, I'm I do like this module. I'm kind of interested in the history of it. I think for fourth edition. Which made a lot of mistakes. I don't think you could make me play, but I'd probably try to pull some stuff in from there because they were the most uh, along their way of kind of making the Bastani from the ground up rather than a sort of take on Roma. That like yeah. they were still sort of a wandering people, but they were also the only ones who could go out and get supplies. And because of their position, they became a very mixed people along with the wandering one. And so, like, the elements were sensible. And then also, like, within every edition of Curse of Strahd, you had sort of friendly NPC uh, Vistani that I think recent edition 4e and 5e have kind of played up a bit, that there are some aligned with Strahd, but you'd expect that because Strahd is the one who basically runs everything in the valley. If you openly hate him and are rebelling, then you're going to be dead. Like, you, you you have to be collaborationist on some level. Like, pretty much every town except for one, at least, like, doesn't say anything mean like they're not an open rebellion against him they they know they're going to fuck him over and so i think uh like you'd look at it like that i don't think it writes it explicitly but there's probably a lot of dasani who are just like yeah Straw gave me a job and i'm not going to say no to the 2000 year old vampire who could wreck my shit in three seconds like yeah yeah you don't want to fuck with you know the literal god of this domain
2: i'm not with him but I also am not explicitly against him.
0: (laughs) So I guess my question for you all is this. So if we're going to go and change all these preconceived, I guess I would almost say like tokenish kind of depictions of like orcs and goblins and stuff like that. I mean, first off, I mean, let's go ahead and tackle the elephant in the room. Like why are people so upset by this particular change? Not everyone, obviously, but there, I have seen some critiques saying that this is stupid etc cetera, etc cetera. oh oh you mean the
4: racists yeah mm-hmm. that that, that <laughs> i mean let's not sugarcoat it that's what it is yeah it's like i want my orcs to be uh, a certain thing for for reasons <laughs> no you're you're just racist
3: <laughs> not to like defend them cuz i definitely do think that there's some racialized stuff but i think some of it also might be really from video games like orcs zombies the rest of that are morally uncomplicated to kill And there's a lot of players who like that and want that. But then, like, I think we're talking... I can bring in a lot of Warhammer here because I think tropes are really rife. That I think there's simultaneously some players want to treat these things as killable experience that we don't analyze. And some players are like, okay, let's look in and delve deeper. And I think, like, if it was purely the first, if orcs were just literally they have a spear and an axe, they want to kill you, Let's not look deeper into it. I think you could avoid a lot of the tropes, like, you know, don't lean too hard on any real culture, just make them literal people who want to kill you, like wild animals almost. And that's okay, though there could still be some stuff you can read into that. But I wouldn't call someone racist for saying, you know, I just want my level one D&D character to kill someone without sociology. But then you simultaneously have writers who are trying to make it deeper and show like, okay, we used some barbarian tropes on the orcs, and there were real people behind that, and sort of digging it out. And when you have those two different groups in such a wide, disparate community doing the same thing, it's like, then you, you run into this problem where, okay, they're actually playing up those tropes and, like, trying to make them more complicated while other people and other writers are treating them like experience vending machines.
1: Yeah. Well, depending on not just the... Depending on your group and depending on your setting, that's where it's going to come in. Like I'll tell you the big difference: skeletons and orcs, the mindless un—I mean, skeletons and zombies, the mindless undead. Yes, those are kind of an experience vending machine because they're just—they're not evil. They're not motivated by anything. They're just following whatever. Yeah, they're programmed, and it's—it's about the same as you know smashing robots. It's the reason why in the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon. Uh, They switched from uh, the foot soldiers actually being flesh and blood to being foot robots so that they could smash them with impunity because it was a children's TV show. But at the same time, um, if you were to look at it in terms of, oh, those are are bad guy ninjas that are part of a bad guy ninja clan that is doing bad guy things, you can still – kind of, sort of take them on without having a problem. It's like, once you look into the motivations behind, yes, these guys are right bastards, but there has to be that brief little moment of, no, trust me, these guys are actually bastards. I think that it's safe to say, you know, not all goblins are evil, not all goblins are just a step above vermin, but quite a few of them are. There's enough that backs up the stereotype. Um, Not all orcs are warlike tribes that are spreading across like humanoid locusts across the landscape, but enough of them are that when you run into one that isn't, and you actually get into the motivations for it, well, why is this orc tribe roaming and trying to get over here? Well, there was conquest of their homeland. They're actually just armed refugees. That's where you start to get into the problematic aspect of it. It's do you... Are your players going to actually look into it? Are they going to try to figure it out, or are they just going to see a bunch of orcs running at them with spiky, scary weapons upraised and just yelling for the horde? Like it's.
3: I think there, though, you could also add that it's this difference of sort of an idea, an idealist history versus a materialist one. That, like, when you're fleshing out an entire race as a writer, when you're talking about elves, orcs, goblins, and that sort of thing. I don't think it's that satisfying to write... They're all evil because of the individuals they chose to be. So you have to lean into this uh, materialist history and say, okay, why would they be evil? And at the end of the day, you create... You either do something very stupid and unsatisfying, like the orcs are jealous of elves because elves are pretty and orcs are not. And even then, you can say, like, why did the gods fuck over the orcs then? Like, it still seems there's some kind of sympathy there. Like, you end up anytime you write this sort of thing, especially materialist lines. It's like, Oh, the orcs were driven out. It becomes a sort of colonizers history.
2: So, uh, we have a, these guys are evil and it's okay to kill them. Sources dude, just trust me.
3: Yeah, no, like it's, I think it's, it's one where I, I guess I can understand people who don't want to just there. I don't know. I, I feel like there's, there is something I'm not a hugely violent player. I don't play for the combat necessarily, But there is something kind of unsatisfying to me about just killing automatons like zombies, simple robots, that sort of thing, versus like just someone who can fight back on a a level. And I think like in a fantasy, it's a bit boring to be like, we're just we're just going to kill bones that I think it's okay to say like an evil necromancer manipulated these orcs or whatever. Now they want to kill you and they're living in a tower because they they believe this, I don't know, vaguely evil, charismatic dictator of a sorcerer. Like, I can understand not wanting to read that far behind and saying, like, look, this is an orc in a dungeon. They were told to keep the humans out. They're going to keep the humans out. And you could have a human in the same way. But, you know, like, it's a fantasy land. The same reason I don't want humans living in the forest. I want elves. I can see, you know, have some humans have some orcs just because... It's it's a bit more fantasy. It adds some color. But I think if you're a writer who wants to take yourself remotely seriously, you end up being like, oh, fuck, we wrote a colonized people. The orcs aren't allowed in the cities. They're hunted for sport. This sounds a lot like, you know, the fucking American Wild West. Almost like we just have this group of vigilante players going from town to town, running posse on people who aren't one of the acceptable races. Shit, I'm on the orc side as usual. Yeah, yeah. Right. I think that's what's happening. But like, I do think there's sort of this thing of I, I don't know what I necessarily call it because it's not purely, strictly, sort of liberal. Uh, but this sort of contradiction in terms of our our modern ethics and approach to it that like, even if you take the orc side, you're still othering them. Like, even if the orcs are the good guys, you're still kind of, in leaning on these tropes, casting Native Americans as orcs in this case, or any other one, like Celts as orcs, that doesn't matter that much. I mean, no one really... We shouldn't cry for Irish people saying that their great-grandparents were indentured servants, but I mean, like, a lot of them end up drawing on, like, Polynesia or other places where it's like, these are real people, and you're casting them as green-skinned monsters. And so... That's always an issue with all all these things, though, because like when you at at the end of the day, we can only draw knowledge from the outside world and like what we see around us. Oh, yeah, it's just you do you do end up with something where I think the solution is to kind of move away from assuming mm, white. mm, I I was going to say white male, but just white is human in these settings that like your Englishman is going to be human. Your Irishman is going to be an elf. Your Scotsman's going to be a dwarf. And like as f- the further you go out from the European races, so to to sound like an eighteenth century phrenologist, as further you go out from the European cultures, the more and more monstrous the the other cultures get. And I think like that is something kind of problematic, even if you're saying like they look different from us, but it's okay, it's still a very it's still imposing whiteness in a way. First of all, everyone knows dwarves
0: from Chicago.
3: Scots-Irish, Chicago Dwarves, yeah. I think it's just uh, that angle people are kind of annoyed at the, insofar as it's sort of a monolith. But it is also something hard to solve. Like, again, going back to Warhammer, they're bringing out the third one, and people are talking about whether... Ha- uh, I think it's a Kingdom of Ind and Cathay should be included in the new Warhammer, because holy fuck, like, uh, their, their equivalent to the Middle East was literally... Like, I read the backstory in horror because... An evil wizard named Jafar worked with demons to launch basically, I don't know what you call it, like just a massive invasion. They, they had the restraint not to call the it Jihad. Oh. Um, oh, <laughs> yikes. It's a hijid They had Jafar launch a demon army against like old world Europa in in this setting and then had the Crusades launch in defense, which essentially completely dismantled the the region as its own power or faction in the game like Yikes. it's yeah and i mean i don't know as much about ind or cafe but holy fuck i know i i can understand people being wary about letting warhammer anywhere near that but the the solution then seems to be from those people that like you just don't have minorities in your game like oh my god Well, it's like I can understand, like Warhammer shouldn't touch that, but it's like, oh, you're doing a world map where there's clear cultural analogs. Do we just only include like white Europeans and then fill the rest of it with like lizard men or some shit? Like, there's
4: they did with South America.
3: That is what Lustria, yeah. Basically, I like, as I said, I think the only solution is if you're going to do that, you're going to have to, like, I think if any, you're going to have to, like, uh, present not assume that the humans in the setting are British or American Europeans. And I think they're getting better at that. Like there's more and more sort of Eberron stuff. I think Eberron's becoming the modern vibe of like, oh yeah, no, there's orcs and goblins in every city. Things are metropolitan and, you know, there's different. But then it breaks down like you're you're making a very racially essentialist. Like then why are orcs and goblins so different stat-wise than people? Because they're they all become part of the same culture. And so, yeah, that's that's a paradox I run against as a GM. And I'm sorry, this is probably not usable because it's half an hour of Rob just talking about <laughs> how we make a setting without too much racism.
2: You're so cute when you wax philosophical. I
4: mean, you say that, Rob, but at the same time, like it is something that GMs do deal with, especially nowadays, because people are getting more mature on. And progressive i like to think <laughs> on situations like this like that's why we've like we've seen a research uh, we've seen a uh a rise in like trying to trying to improve the old way of like thinking of of D races with like heritages and uh, ancestries and stuff like that or like not going like i think i saw something earlier this like last two weeks or something uh that like wizards of the coast was trying to uh modify the races so that it was like it wasn't just like Orcs are inherently good at this thing, even though that's more of a cultural thing
1: than a than a species thing. Even if you've got these supposedly good races, you still run into that. Like, halflings have never been considered an evil race ever. I think we can agree on that one. Like, it's they've never been painted with the bad brush.
4: Have you have you have you played Overlord? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also,
3: in, they're cannibals in Eberron.
1: All right, so let me try this again. <laughs> traditionally halflings are not you know oh and tinder
0: let him finish sorry
1: yeah rob you had your soapbox I'm, i'm just gonna just crawl over here into the corner look halflings have had a racial ability to throw rocks since the very beginning and um it hasn't been a problematic thing like ever like that's never been a big deal of people just going well you're making halflings into a bunch of rock throwers that's not a bad thing uh, racial traits on the whole are not necessarily bad. If you say mm-hmm. that, you know, orcs are good at swinging weapons because their culture has had them swinging weapons for a very long time, that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's when people start getting into the meat and potatoes of it and trying to figure out, well, why exactly are they good at, It's like you know?
3: That's when it starts getting, like, kind of phrenology Yeah, he, he has a stone-throwing brow. No, oh,
1: God. not exactly say a stone throwing brow, but he definitely has the lump on the back of the head to prove that his race has been fairly good at throwing rocks. Like that—that's clearly a rock throwing scar that he got from you know being hit in the head with an actual rock. Yeah, but at the same time, yeah, it's the—if you start looking for, um, I think that what I'm trying to get at is if you start looking for problematic content, you are always, always going to find it. Not necessarily everything is bad. Oh, elves are good at art and music. Well, why are they good at art and music? Well, because they've been living the life of, you know, the bourgeoisie for so long. If you're looking for bourgeoisie, you're going to find it. If you're looking for, you know, horrible racial connotations of violence and conquest, you're also going to find it. Like, maybe sometimes those racial traits come from good places i mean they don't always have to be a case of we're being racist against uh these real world people i mean it's
2: also the the kind of thing where if you're in a fantasy setting of different races like you need to make it advantageous to pick one race over another race when you're building your character you know like the races go with the classes if you want to look deep into it, you can. But if you also just need to have a character that's really good at swinging an axe, and so you get an advantage on swinging an axe, then it help it, it makes sense that instead of just having those advantages on the classes, you also have them on the races. Like yeah. you don't you don't yeah. build a barbarian out of a wood elf, but uh, you, you, an orc, half orc, perfect for a barbarian build
1: you could actually build a uh, barbarian out of a wood elf. It would just be, Sir? you just have to look at um, what is the character's personal history? Like, I, I've i always loved the idea of just breaking the mold in some way. I, I like to have the erudite orc. I like to have the orc that is the scholar who can sit there and just talk to you while playing chess and sipping a cup of tea. But at the same time, I also like the idea of the halfling barbarian that you're looking at, going, what in the world? Where did this come from? <laughs> Don't you folks normally just go in for eleven Zs and wear waistcoats? And it's like, well, that's not all halflings. Like I, I like the idea of just subverting the expectations, and I think that the better way to do it with a setting is to not have racial traits, but to have um, background traits. Like, doesn't matter what the character's race is, orc half-orc, goblin, half-goblin. Hell, make yourself or make make a halfling. But it's, what did your character do for a living before they were an adventurer? Well, he was a barback, so obviously he knows a thing or two about beer.
2: Yeah, see, I like that. Adding the what you would normally have as a race advantage instead to the background, it really lets you play whatever the fuck race you want and not be limited to it. I remember when I was building my Barbarian character for a and d game that only got one play, um, I I went with half-orc because of all of the races that I could pick, the half-orc was the best for the Barbarian build,
3: no matter what background I
2: chose. Which was really frustrating, because I didn't want to play a half-orc.
3: Yeah, I, I think uh, Dungeon World is nice there. Like, the minimalist systems can really run with it a lot more. That Dungeon World, you can be a list of different uh, races on the character sheet, and it gives you one small advantage. But... Like you can li- you can literally be anything discussing with your GM and like they they're just sort of like, Yeah, it's arbitrary, but here's what we recommend. If you want to be an elf, you'll be slightly different than a human. Then there's a uh then there's also thirteenth age that kind of splits the difference by having part of your traits be associated with which which class you take and the other part uh, associated with uh which race you are. That's so, mo- isn't that just like D and D too? No, because like- uh D and D um you have to your stats are based off of um, solely the race um, with uh, 13th age if you have stats based off of the class so if you te- if you decide you wanted to be a fighter, then you automatically get an advantage in strength. So you can like you could play a, a class that normally doesn't have high strength uh, race that doesn't normally associate with high strength.
1: Frankly, I like the the concept of it because it's do you want swole elves? This is how we get swole elves. <laughs> actually I kind of do want a swole elf. It's like well, now that you put it that way, we kind of want one too. So run with it. Yeah.
0: We need we need our twunks. We do to kind of put a bow on this particular. I mean, the troubling aspect, and we've already went into kind of some solutions right here. It seems like it from everything I've gathered from our conversation and just my own experience. It seems like I mean, it's something is changing, and change never comes easy for starters. Uh, it's personally, and I may I know I'm looking through this through rose-colored glasses. Uh, it's caused me to rethink and uh, certain ways that I would do a story. It's caused me to uh, find different proxies. I, I think that's been the most troubling thing. I mean, you know, I said tokenish a moment ago when we kind of introduced this and, you know, it's easy to make, you know, the orcs, the bad guys and the goblins, the bad guys and all that. And at least something that I can, cause I've never read the books. So I'll be frankly, I'll uh, frank with you. Uh, but, the fi- I liked in the film at least that there were men who fought alongside Sauron's army. Though as I look back on dead men, they were very uh, that
4: there's problematic some race
3: issues there too.
4: Yeah, yeah. So they
0: screwed yeah. that up. It's, it was they were very. I don't know. It almost looked like eastern slash travel.
3: Actually, um, a fun fact with that is Tolkien did have the one group in the West side with the uh, side with or at least Saruman, and they were very clearly an analogy for Scots and Irish people, who he kind of hated. Like, they literally shout fear goal, which is a a take on, like, the Gaelic word for foreigners. Uh, And that's sort of their slur for the Rohirrim. So, yeah, no, he he really was casting the colonial (laughs) colonized races, including the Irish, (laughs) as the bad guys. Big oof! I'm starting to think Tolkien may have been kind of English,
4: yeah what I, I, I
3: will actually no. I, I will actually try to pick it up here and give my take on it that I think one of the reasons Tolkien has survived without quite as many bad uh implications as the modern fiction, though clearly still has some, is that he divorced the fantasy races from real life races, like the dwarves weren't supposed to be the French. They were a wandering people because that's who their people were. And then they were ones who built these mountain fortresses. And sort of from this ground up approach, he created a culture. The elves were the same thing. They were dealing with the sort of ennui of being immortal and not being able to sort of go to heaven ever. They were sort of Earth, middle earth was purgatory. So I do think like there's the Tolkien sort of English approach of. That just sounds Catholic. Be, yeah. Oh, Tolkien was Catholic as fuck. Uh, Yeah, Earth being
2: purgatory is just Catholic.
3: Oh, yeah. But, I mean, he used that to create a new thing for the elves. The elves weren't just, like, fantasy Welsh or fantasy Romans. They were people trapped in purgatory in their own way. And, like, you draw your own implications for that, but you don't make the fantasy other races into other... You don't make human cultures into these fantasy others. You create a fantasy other from your own... Sort of perspective and ideas, and if you're world building from scratch, I think that's a good way to go about it. Now, obviously, he still had a human other, but he didn't give a shit. He just made humans into the other. So yeah, you're just murdering, you know, Middle Easterners and it, I guess uh, the Easterlings were vaguely Chinese or Persian, I, Scots and Irish people or the Dunlendings. He still he had no fear about othering those, but he made his fantasy creatures unique. And then early D and D, I think both as a shorthand for the writers, but also as a shorthand for people making the characters or are like, yeah, if you're doing an elf, they're going to be French kind of thing. And
0: that...
2: I feel like he didn't get as much flack as as other um, older authors because, you know, he didn't have, like, a really overtly racist named cat or something, you know?
3: Yeah. Yeah. Um, There's definitely that helping him. Well, I also do think, like, Lovecraft was racist even for his time. Like Tolkien was Tolkien was weird, but like I don't think he was he was like more than was culturally acceptable. Like I I think he even had like a few takes that were sort of good, though he just despised the Welsh and I don't understand that. Anyway, too many Ws. <laughs> and then he based he based the elvish language or the elvish language on Welsh, but he hated the Welsh people. But anyway, I just want to say, like, I think there's a transition from that, which is a very British way of viewing the world, that you have, here is the land of the humans, here is the land of the elves. Like, it's it's as Europe is. Everyone has their own country. To now, it's moving to an American perspective. I don't know. I think they're trying to make it less problematic within American eyes, but there's still problematic elements within that. That it's all a melting pot, and it's not you're an orc from orc country. Everyone's living together in the fantasy world. And, yeah.
2: Keep making the elf language Welsh, but while despising Welsh, is literally just cultural appropriation.
3: Yeah, yeah, no,
2: one thousand percent is just run-of-the-mill
1: standard cultural appropriation.
3: Absolutely, white people
1: want dreadlocks while hating black people. Yeah, just one thing that uh, changes it just slightly as far as the dynamic. When you were saying that, uh, you know, we all just kind of put our own spin on things. I, I just have to throw a shout-out to the um, the Legend of Dritzt audiobook, as read by a bunch of different celebrities, like, everybody takes a different chapter. Ice-T decided to give the elves a Jersey accent, and it's fucking brilliant. Fucking love <laughs> Ice-T. Yeah. And... He's so funny. I love that guy. And he does it mostly because he's like, uh, they're just talking about orcs and shit, I don't know. And he pronounces the W's in the word sword. Do you know how many... S- Times Ra Salvatore uses the sword. word sword. Sword. <laughs> I swore. I guess yeah, I, I got sword. my sword. That man is a treasure.
2: He really is. Genuinely, truly is.
0: We've kind of got some. We've kind of you know, stated a problem, their origins, and so forth. So I'm open to kind of bring this conversation home with suggestions on how to avoid said problem. I'm going to take the first answer and Stop go. Stop playing the B&D. E- well, I'm going to go for the second easy answer then and uh, just say that you need to craft a better narrative that doesn't rely on previously assumed tropes and, you know, the fodder characters that we just chew through with impunity, with no moral, you know, repercussion. It's, you need to rethink why or I'm, I'm trying to think of the best way to word this, but you just, you need to craft, a, I guess you could say a better a better narrative, show more diversity amongst everything. Don't just automatically make the bad guy, quote unquote, bad guy, you know, who is the orcs or something like that. I mean, it, you can have an orc villain as well as you can have a human villain, but I think that, you know, this is, we're getting to the point that if you want to make a more in-depth storyline, uh, a better story, I guess you could say in a more,
1: what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to, um, change the expectations you're going to have to challenge the realities that people are accepting for themselves and you're going to have to either have the players that think about it or just realize that you've got players that just i think that that's what session zero is really all about like when you start the game before you get into it it's like all right so what kind of game are we running here is this going to be intrigue is this going to be um, something that's going to challenge your expectations, or are you guys just looking for hacky hacky slash slash? And if you're going for that last one, don't even bother trying to change up the expectations behind the races and whatnot. You're just basic. You're basically just going to have them fighting against a bunch of different humans and paper maché masks. But just make sure that you establish that at the very beginning. It's like that's basically what you do. Is you f- you have to read the room. You have to read your table, but the same time it's like okay why are these guys bad guys because they're all wearing red shirts well why are we killing the army of the red shirts because they're working for the army of the red shirt
2: i want to see someone take a really a really classic D setting of like yeah fight maim kill and then instead of ever like Killing people, they just try and get to the root of the problem of why this person is aggressive and why being in their cave is an act of violence because we're infringing on their land, etc, etc. Just a real deconstruction of it and there's actually no like real fighting or violence in the game beyond like maybe one or two hits, but you use talking to get through to the issue and really deconstruct the the racism inherent to the build of these characters the Steven universe
3: of D D dungeons and sociology.
1: So what is your weapon of choice? Pointed arguments. Exactly. <laughs> uh, what about yours? Blunt truths.
3: <laughs> Thank you for the save, there, David. Like, I, I think, uh, both the modern and more classical Tolkien interpretations can be done well or poorly. As, as David said, like you need to get to know the players. You need to know what you're comfortable with. And, you know, try to have a little bit of self-awareness because I think the main problem with the original published materials is that as an RPG it has to be everything to everyone that, like, they're just giving you this toolbox. Like, there literally is the Paladin of uh, Peace sort of build. I, I forget the actual name of it, but there there's that in 5e, like, you can actually sort of create a viable team of pacifist characters who could try and force the DM to... Or try and force the monsters to negotiate if the DM is up to run that kind of game, and I think like that's great, but it does mean that like you get in having a toolbox, you also give people the power to be racist. The main thing is just making sure the narrative and what you're giving people doesn't encourage that, doesn't make it the lazy default. I think they're getting better for that, but I don't know if inherently uh, we have made a huge shift. Like I do think like there's good ways to be non-racist with the classical. And there's very, very easy ways. The more it's sort of Americanizing and moving towards that cultural headspace, it's getting easier for certain people who don't aren't as aware to just map uh, certain monster monsters races onto humans who and human cultures that they see as other. So just try to be aware, know that you have a toolbox and build something that you think is good. and if you're making the toolbox just sort of be aware of what you're guiding people towards, because a lot of people would just sort of sleepwalk along these tropes without thinking too much. Orcs are just monstrous bags of experience, but also somewhere else you've written them as being sort of a colonized culture. And when you do both of those things, it's no good. So everyone just be a little bit aware and just kind of know what you're doing and be open if a player calls you out on it. The RPX guide to uh, running races in D&D. Be fucking cool, man. Yeah. Just like, like fuck. Yep.
2: Just like, don't be a dick. Yeah. Just, just,
1: just like, don't be a dick. Cool, dude. Come on. I think that that does kind of fit.
0: Oh yeah. I'm. I've been talking for a minute. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm muted. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have said out of craze on. You got any insight into this? I, I, I was Crazon? like, I was like, I,
4: I really got nothing. <laughs> like, I'm just like, uh, you got like, I, I I'd just be parroting what you guys are all saying. <laughs> <laughs>
3: I think Chris uh, ended no, it wonderfully with don't be a dick. Like, I just I just cut it out yeah. to all of us sort of agreeing with, oh, yeah, 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 don't be a dick. That that That's actually a good guide. Save, you would have yeah. saved me like an hour of ranting.
1: One last thought that I just wanted to throw out there is change of any kind, if it's going to be meaningful, is going to take effort, because otherwise it can be unchanged just as easily. So what we're looking at here is big changes to the way that we've gamed and we're challenging expectations. So be aware that this is not going to be an easy change because anything that is worth changing, anything that is worthwhile, trying to do our best to make better, is worth the effort.
2: And that's why there still hasn't been any reform after all the Black Lives Matter protests.
0: Yay, Biden. Ouch.
1: Thank you,
3: Dot uh, Warner.
0: Change is hard. Like, no, no doubt about it. And I guess my final feeling is... You know, I've kind of pushed back on things. I've caught myself pushing back on things that uh, I took for granted. It's like when, you know, we talked about D&D, but uh, when the Cho-Cho, they started revamping the Cho-Cho. And this was several years ago before I, you know, kind of exposed myself to more and more ideas. My initial gut reaction was like, oh man, why are they doing that? Because it was like a nice, easy monster-ish kind of being to kill. And then, you know, I think the big wake up call for me, which it wasn't like anything I put a huge amount of thought in, but I saw someone say, Well, why can't we just move the Chocho over into Appalachia and make them a bunch of hillbillies? And then like there's this brief moment of me going, Well, God damn it. Why would and then, you know, there's that realization of like, why not? Why should all these why should this this particular entity be in Southeast Asia? And stuff like that. Well, what if the monster is like, you know, put in your backyard? This is like, and I mean, that was kind of a a wake up call for me uh, years ago just to, you know, question,
1: hold back. Oh,
2: because it's racist.
1: Yeah. And, oh, there was a missionary I used to know that said that, you know, you'd throw a rock among a pack of dogs, the only ones would bark are the ones that get hit. Sometimes we all need to be hit by that racist rock at least once.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Definitely. It's, Change is slow. Change can be painful, but I mean, constantly ch- constantly changing, constantly evolving. I mean, that's what we all should be, shouldn't we? I just want the aside that I think Tolkien's elves do have a racial
3: bonus to throwing the racist stone.
0: <laughs> oh, for sure. Okay. Yeah. What were you going to add there, David, too? I'm just laughing at that one. The- oh, okay.
1: Like, that's racist. Lest like, he you, you who has know.
2: never been racist throw the first racist stone.
0: Yep. Yeah, I- I do love the analogy of throwing a rock in, into a pack of dogs. That's, that was beautiful. And that's a, that's a great note to kind of end on with that. Uh, so if you're all still with us, we'd like to thank you here at Roll Point Exchange for tuning in for this episode of which really, we literally thought of the topic as we talked. And so I've enjoyed the conversation though. I'd like to thank everyone so much for joining in.
4: Uh, <laughs> it was very organic.
0: Yes. So, Crazon, thank you for joining us. Uh, where can people find you on the internet?
4: Uh, well, I go by Review Cultist on my Creepypasta Analysis podcast, Al Dente Rigamortis. And speaking of problematic fantasy settings and and trying to change them despite the fact that I love them, we've. I, I also run One uh, Less Die, a Shatterrun endgaming actual play podcast, <laughs> where I've... I've been recording my actual pl- my, my my tabletop games for like seven years now and I'm just finally getting around to uh editing those archived uh content <laughs> and posting it. So uh, and we also have like some more of our more current games running as well. So yeah. Uh if you like cre- uh, weird adventures in Shadowrun, Pathfinder, Cthulhu, Monster of the Week, stuff like that, you can check that out. Or you can listen to us ramble about creepypastas on El Dente Rigamortis.
0: Awesome. If you would uh, like to learn more about the Real Point Exchange, we're on the internet at ropepointexchange.com. You can reach us on Facebook at uh, the rowpoint, uh, Facebook.com slash the ropepoint exchange. And we're also on Twitter at R P E X C H A N G E. So I just spelled out R P Exchange. And finally, if uh, you would like to help us, what was that phrase, trades on about money, hosting? Oh,
4: yeah. Um, We uh, we, uh, thank you for your patronage. We very much appreciate it.
0: You're keeping, keep those hosting bills at bay. (laughs) And thank you so much for that. And I guess until next time, we'll see you all later. Bye-bye. Sleep well. We really didn't think this one through.